Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 39. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching, and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who were ill and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Well, as um, we were having that read to you, I wonder if you noticed the authority that Jesus has. And that's one of the things we're going to be thinking about today. Now, as we think about the idea of authority, I'm sure I don't need to tell you that much is written about, much ink spilled at the moment, talking about the crisis of authority in society. Politicians normally get the raw end of the deal and a lot of the focus of the crisis of authority, but uh, truth be told, it's been eroding for quite some time. Um, I don't know if you've seen that if you track the different generations, the youngest generation are the ones who are most skeptical about authority and so it rises steadily, but all the indications are that it's going in only in one direction. And as we, we think about that, you know, of course, it's not just related to the people who hold the offices, sometimes the actual very institutions which people look to traditionally for their source of authority and for security have themselves experienced the shifting 
locus of authority. Increasingly, people now look to themselves. Um, the word of 2017 was post-truth. Not that people are like, so over truth, just give me lies. It's not that, though there are some people who unfortunately fall for that. But the, the locus of truth is now found within, within the individual. We look within ourselves to find out the truth on matters. And we therefore are skeptical about external sources of authority or truth. There's an American bit of graffiti on a university in the 1990s that I think sums it up. It said, we used to trust the politicians, but Watergate changed all that. We used to trust the generals, but Vietnam changed all that. We used to trust the scientists, but Three Mile Island changed all that. Now we have no one to trust. And as we've shifted in our sources of trust to ourselves, we've really reaped a bit of a whirlwind with that. Now, all of that by way of context, because one of the great um, phrases that Jesus uses time and time again to describe what he's all about is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Now, of course, to British ears, we have to be clear, this is not a ceremonial monarchy. This is a kingdom with real power. But the very idea of a kingdom, of a power of authority, is off-putting for many people. And yet, in my experience, when you introduce people to Scripture and they read it for the first time, they find something very beckoning about Jesus. They find those authority claims concerning, but they find him as a character beckoning and welcoming. They see the way that he manifests and uses that power. And they find something attractive about that. And so what I want us to look at as we look at this passage is to see what Jesus' authority is really like, to see how he uses it and see where it comes from. So that's what we're going to think about. What is Jesus' authority like? And first of all, we're going to see that it's an amazing authority. Mark writes at a breakneck speed, and he likes to repeat himself so that we get the point. And you see that the common reaction he records of people to Jesus is amazement. Look down at verse 22. The people were amazed at Jesus' teaching. And then look down at verse 27. The people were also amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? There's always this context of amazement, which is just worth making the side point that when I talk to people about Jesus as you know, part of the privilege of my job, people normally think they've got him pegged. They know what he's like, they know what he'll do, and there's nothing exciting about him at all. They couldn't be further from the truth from the first century reactions to Jesus. He is constantly surprising. People constantly feel off balance with him. He's constantly amazing and people marvel at him, both in good and bad reactions. If you think you know Jesus, you probably don't, unless you're really reading scriptures carefully. So they're amazed at him. Now, why are they amazed at him? Well, partly because of the authority he has. Authority we see in verses 16 to 20 to call people to follow him. Now, no doubt Mark is not including all of the details of the narrative here. You can get more if you cross-reference to John chapter 1. But Mark's point is clear. Jesus commands and people obey. Look at verse 17. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, one of Mark's favourite phrases, immediately they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Do you see that the authoritative nature of the call leads to an immediate reaction, no delay, no procrastination, an immediate reaction, and a total reaction. They are even prepared to leave their family, which of course in an ancient Middle Eastern society would have been a huge move, and their jobs, which would probably be a bigger move for us today. They leave everything to follow Jesus, an amazing authority over people. But it's not just his authority over people, it's his authoritative teaching 
Verse 22, he teaches with authority. Uh, What that means is, rather than cross-referencing everything, footnoting everything, Jesus stands up and just says it as it is. He doesn't need to defer to other sources of authority to derive his authority. Now, that never works out um, very well academically unless you are the authority. I remember a few years ago reading a book about the early churches whilst I was at Theological College, and it struck me it was the first book I'd ever read that had no footnotes to it. And I went to my um, church history tutor and I said to him, how come this has got no footnotes? He said, oh, that's because everyone acknowledges he's the global expert. He doesn't need any footnotes. Jesus doesn't need footnotes. He doesn't need to refer to anybody. He says, this is the way it is. And it's so demonstrably, self-evidently true, he has the authority when he teaches. Not only that, authority over the spiritual realm. Look at what happens in verse 23. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. He casts out evil with just a word. And then we get authority over physical health in the following verses of 29 to 31, as he heals a whole town. And it's difficult to miss the force of that. As I said in the interview, my wife is a surgeon. She said one of the great tragedies of the modern age is that people don't realize that doctors are actually very, very limited. Patients come and they demand healing. She says the best thing she can do is to put things back together and hope that they will heal. She doesn't have the power to heal. She's very clear on that, even as a highly qualified surgeon. No, God is the one who has the power. And Jesus, as God, demonstrates that here. Authority over physical health. So that the hospitals were empty when he was alive because he could heal people like that. Now, if you see such authority, if you have a pause for thought for a moment, you must think to yourself, is that not concerning? After all, if he can command people and they just do what he says straight away, if he can command illness and evil spirits, if he has that level of power and authority... What could he do in my life? That's quite concerning. I mean, he's got that authority. He could ride roughshod over anything. But then you see what he does with the authority. The nature of the authority is power. But actually the character of it is one of love. He doesn't use it for his own agenda. He uses it to heal and for the good of others. He doesn't use it in self-service. He uses it in selfless service of others. He doesn't use it to domineer and to oppress or to oppose. He uses it to liberate and to bring people into the light and to bring joy and flourishing in their lives. I remember a few years ago, um, I used to play quite a lot of rugby, and I remember a few years ago I was playing against a team which had one guy playing for them particularly, that even though we were a decent team ourselves, he was a Samoan guy, and his forearms were the size of any of our players' thighs. I mean, he was just an absolute giant, and he was also very quick and athletic, and he terrorised our team for 80 minutes, and we lost the game. And at the end of the match, this man who had brutalised us all as a team um, stood there smiling as this two- or three-year-old boy ran onto the pitch, and he picked him up, and he chucked him up in the air and caught him, and then held him in his massive bicep arms. And as I looked on, I thought, there is not a child in the world that is safer right now than that child. That's a wonderful picture of, isn't it, of power, yes, great power, but also used for someone's good. Let me just ask the question, I don't know where you're coming from, what would it be like if God used all of his power? He can do whatever he wants, 
for your good and for your blessing. Would that not start to change your view of authority? That is the amazing authority that Jesus Christ has, all of the power of God at his fingertips, and yet he uses it to bless and to heal, never to curse, never to dominate. But where does this power come from? That's worth thinking about. And as we come to the next instant, if on the second half of the, um, the reading of verse 35, you'll see that Mark uses this material to kind of juxtapose it to a rather strange instant. Verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Now, Mark does his writing at breakneck speed. And so strangely here, given the kind of whirlwind tour we've just been taken through of Jesus' amazing authority, he breaks up the passage and breaks up the narrative and slows everything right down. Why does he document so accurately Jesus' prayer habits? It's rather strange. It caused me to puzzle for many, many years until I realized that what Mark wants us to see is where Jesus' authority comes from. We often have a misunderstanding about Jesus. He is fully God, that's the claim and the reality. But he is also fully human. And um, it's really important that we don't emphasize his full godness in such a way that it, if you like, diminishes what it means for him to be fully human. And one of the things that was worth noting about Jesus is that his authority, his power, does not come from himself, even though it could do. And the reason Mark documents these verses is that we see Jesus gets all of his power, all of his vitality and energy from his relationship with his Father in heaven, which is why we have him recorded very early in the morning praying, because he's exhausted and he needs to draw from his Father in heaven. We actually have it at a number of key moments throughout the Gospels. And at a crucial um, stage in John chapter 8, Jesus says this to remind us, I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. What he's saying is that my authority comes from the Father. You wonder how I'm able to do these things? I don't do them of my own will. I do them of the Father's will. Now, why is that so significant? Well, it's significant precisely because of the problem that Jesus has come to fix. He has come into a world where rather than it being thine be the kingdom, the power and the glory, we love to say mine be the kingdom, the power and the glory, don't we? I know we dress it up with nice veneers. I know we don't say it out loud because it sounds too um, proud and too full of hubris, but that's the narrative of our hearts and our minds. We don't want to defer to someone else, least of all, least of all God. We think it's all about us. And as a result, as the great theologian Martin Luther put it, we have become curved in on ourselves, incurvatus in se, he called it in Latin. That means we make it all about ourselves. We're so busy looking in on ourselves that we can't turn out to other people. We think that the power has to come from within, and that's one of the great mantras of our age. You've got it within yourself. If you believe it, you can do it. And yet the reality is we know we don't. We know we can't. And so when Jesus comes into God's world, of course he comes to save us, we'll see that in a moment, but he also comes to show us how life should be lived. And if we see him needing to pray, to have power and vitality, and if he is the very son of God, then it does beg the question, doesn't it? Where do we get off thinking we can do it in our own strength? 
if the brightest mind that ever walked the world, if the most powerful human being who ever walked the world, the most influential person, the luminous Nazarene of history, as Einstein called him, had to pray, do we really think we can get through the day without reference to God? We're fooling ourselves. This is the source of Jesus' authority. He does nothing of his own power and authority. He prayed, and how he prayed, he was reliant on God the Father. I don't know how you're feeling in your week. I don't know how the ebb and flow of your year is going. As I said, with two little ones and a full-on family life and a church to run, I often feel my weakness, but it is to my shame that I don't devote myself to prayer more than I do. Where do I get off thinking I can do things in my own strength? I cannot. And in those wiser moments, when I spend time drawing on the resources that God offers to me freely, suddenly I find that life goes a little bit better. I find that there's more vitality. I find that I'm more gracious, more prone to listen, less prone to speak. Because, of course, God is the one who gives us our vitality and power and authority. So what's Jesus' authority like? It's an amazing authority. Where does it come from? Not from himself, but from his Father in heaven. And lastly, what does he want to do with it? Let's look at the focus of Jesus' amazing authority. I wonder if you had all of Jesus' wisdom, intellect, power, ability to corral a crowd, ability to heal all of the supernatural and natural resources at his disposal. And there is no doubt his life is the most remarkable life what would you do with it? I wonder what you, he, what you think he should do with it. Well, look at what he says in verse 38. Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. My hunch is is that if you asked even most Christians to finish that sentence, let us go to so that I can what dot dot dot, you would not get so that I can preach. I mean, does that not seem like a bit of a waste of talent? Jesus can do anything. Let us go to the nearby towns so that I can heal, so that I can do miracles. And he did do those things, but he doesn't say those are primary mission for him. He says his primary mission is to preach, to proclaim has Jesus lost the point or is he perhaps making a point? And it comes up time and time again, Mark chapter 6, when Jesus sends out the disciples. What does he send them out to do primarily? They went out and preached that people should repent. And when Jesus does them the Great Commission in Matthew 28, what does he say? He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Preaching, teaching, why such a concern? Was Jesus just a bit bookish? Well, not at all. You see, he is the great physician, and he understands our greatest need. When he says we must go and preach, he must go and preach. He's saying it because it reveals our problem, and it also reveals our fundamental solution. That is, that our fundamental problem is not primarily physical, or emotional, or political, or relational, or cultural, or social, though all of those dynamics are important, and because God is God of all, he is concerned with all those areas. But he is the great physician, he knows what the primary problem is. The primary problem is our spiritual problem, and for that, we need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. 
Doctors in emergency rooms are trained to look at a patient that comes in, maybe in a terrible way, and to look through the pleas for help, the cries of my leg hurts, the blood, um, the swelling, and to see through all of that mess and all of that confusion the key problem. They're not good accident and emergency doctors unless they can get to it. They sometimes have to sidestep other seemingly apparently more urgent needs to get to the real issue. And of course, a good doctor will deal with all the issues in time, but they have to prioritise. They have to know what the primary issue is. Scripture is really clear. There may be many problems in your life. There may be many problems in the world. Lots of things where the wounds are flowing, lots of areas where the pain is acute, lots of swellings that are coming up, and you're thinking someone needs to do something about that. But God would not be the great physician of your soul if he did not say to you, my friend, you have a serious, deeper problem. It's the problem that you are not living in relationship with me. And if I don't fix that, I can fix everything else, but it will just be sticky plasters on gaping wounds. Oh yes, I do want to deal with all of your other problems as well, and I will do, fully and finally in the new creation, but right now there is a deeper problem, your need for forgiveness. Which is why there's a powerful hint in these verses, because the only other time in Mark's Gospel where we have Jesus recorded as retreating in prayer is the night before he goes to the cross. Because when he goes to the cross, he makes it possible for their good news to be proclaimed. He dies on the cross so that we might be forgiven. He gives himself up on the cross, even to death, so that we might have life. He pays the price for the ways we curve in on ourselves and live with our reference to God, so that we might have forgiveness and a conscience washed clean. Sin is the most serious condition that we all have, and Jesus says, I've come to deal with it. And so he proclaims a message then and still today of good news. He says, that is why I have come. So as I close, let me just give you maybe two things particularly to challenge you and to think about. First one, are you trying to do things in your own strength? Because if Jesus needs God's strength, God the Father's strength, don't you think you need it too? Pray to him. Ask him. Seek. He will answer. Knock. He will open the door to you. He will give you the resources you need. Maybe not always the ones you think you should have, but he'll always give you enough to get through the day. And secondly, if the great focus of Jesus' teaching and authority is on the good news that he wants everyone to hear, I wonder, is that your great focus as well? There may be many good things we do in life, but none more important than helping other people to hear this good news themselves. Let me leave this in the prayers with Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus' example to us, but not only his example, thank you for his work on our behalf, living the life that we should live, dying the death that we deserve to die, and living with such amazing authority so that we might know when he says he has good news of forgiveness for all people, he's telling the truth. Help us to believe that and to trust that, we ask for Jesus' sake.